So, you know, I just wanted to start and uh, encourage you with this. You know, when um, somebody comes to New River, they are, they're a guest or whatever, and they speak about, you know, how kind or how friendly that church is or loving that church is, you need to know that they're talking about you. You are New River Church, right? So you're the sum total. New River is the sum total of all of us. You get that? So I just think it's cool. So kudos to you when you're... When you uh, greet someone or shake their hand, welcome them, um, because uh, you know that's that's what the body of Christ is supposed to do, and you guys do great at that. So, I wanted uh, two weeks ago on Labor Day, I uh, taught on what the Bible has to say about work, and as I prepared for that message, I there were other topics that came to the surface. And one of them was welfare, and the other one was wealth. And so last week we talked about welfare, and this morning I'd like to talk about wealth. So one of the points from last week's teaching on welfare was that the family is God's first line of defense in caring for those in need. So if there's someone in my immediate family that has need, the first line of responsibility to take care of that person is the family. Um, not the government and not the church, not other groups. Hartford City Mission's great, but the family is to care for those needs. But when the family is in trouble, now where, did, where do we care for those needs, right? And so that kind of led me to think maybe next week I need to talk about what the Bible has to say about marriage and family. So this thing doesn't seem to want to end. But this morning I want to talk about wealth And uh, I'm calling this message Kingdom Economics 101 because it's not thorough. It's just meant to be a basic overview of what God says about the money in our pockets. Um, But I want to start with a couple of questions. Would you say that it's safe to say that God has one way of doing life and we have a different way of doing it? Yeah, it certainly seems to be the case, doesn't it? And... Is it safe to say that God's way of doing life is better than ours and that because of where we're at as a, as a human race, really living in rebellion against our creator, that we've come up with ways and schemes and plans to do things and they're not always the best, but his way is the best, right? God's will for my life is the best thing that could ever happen to me. God knows what he's doing. So if that's the case, is it safe to say that even when it comes to managing money, that perhaps I've come up with different plans and schemes to manage it than he intended for it. Does that make sense? And uh, in fact, if I could just discover what his plan is for the money in my pocket, that actually there could be more blessing there. And so this morning, that's what we want to talk about. I Actually, I wish I had my wallet on me, because I was just thinking as we were praying, I wanted just to set it on the altar symbolically and say, God, this is yours. I consecrate this invisible wallet to you and give it to him. It's his. And I trust that this morning you and I would, if there's any area of our lives, that we would come into line with what God's word says because I want what God has to say about it. So this morning, I've arranged this study just into six principles, six basic principles, just so that we can 
you know, understand them better. Because honestly, the Bible has a lot to say about wealth. And uh, the first two principles are in biblical order. I'll take those to the bank. I won't, I personally would not negotiate on the first two principles, just so you know where I stand with that. The latter four principles, they're all biblical, but honestly, we could debate their order. I've placed them in the order that are, seem like wisdom to me, I'll be honest, but the latter four, we can certainly, if you want to you know, change them to your own liking, that's fine. But the first two, friends, the first two, we don't mess with. So the first principle is this. I just want to fly through them this morning, again, just so that we can understand what, what's God say about this. The first principle is that it's all his. He owns it. Deuteronomy ten fourteen. it says, To the Lord your God belong the heavens, even the highest heavens, the earth and everything in it. Psalms 24, verse 1, the earth is the Lord's and everything in it, the world and all who live in it, they're his. In 1 Corinthians chapter 10, 26, the apostle Paul quoted Psalms 24, 1. So, you know, it's all throughout scripture. The point is this, it's God's. Every dollar in our pockets technically belongs to him. It's we're simply the manager of what he's, we manage his stuff. We don't own it. God owns it. We manage it. Does that make sense? And so we're simply stewards of what God has given to us. Some have been given more to steward than others, certainly. But regardless of how little or how much you and I have, I'm still a steward of what's in my possession. So I want to explain, just to illustrate what a steward is, I need a volunteer. Just somebody to come who doesn't mind uh, standing in front of people. But Ajasa, come on up. There we go. Here's Ajasa. Of course, it does not surprise me that you would want to volunteer. You're pretty bold like that. How you doing, sweetie? Okay, great. I'll rough you up. That's love. So... <laughs> So, Ajasa, um, I'd like to give you a $5 bill. Um, and I mean it. I'm giving it to you. This is not just faking it. This is a real $5 bill. So, can I give this? No, wait a second. I'd like to give you this $5 bill, but I want to give it to you with one stipulation, okay? One condition. Would you take this $5 bill and treat it the way that I would? Are you willing to take this $5 bill and treat it the way that I would treat it? Okay, then you may have it. I give it to you. Thank you. God bless you in that $5 bill. Okay? You know what I just did? I made her a steward. I just, I just gave her $5 bill to manage as I would manage it. Does that make sense? Every dollar in your pocket, is God's dollar. It's as if the God of the universe has said the exact same thing to you and me. I give you this, this paycheck. I give you all of this. Now, you manage it. You treat it as I would treat it. Friends, if we just grab a hold of this one principle, it will change the way that you deal with money. 
my guess is that there are some of us that are spending money on things that we would stop spending it on those things if we simply applied this principle to it. And my guess is that there are things we're not spending money on that we would begin spending it on if we would just apply this first principle, that I'm a steward. It's not mine. It's his. So that's what it means to be a steward of God's resources. How would I treat it the way that God would want me to treat it? Well, the question will be, how does God want me to treat it? The first thing God wants me to do with it is the second principle, which is tithe it. The word tithe, it's an old English word, and it just means tenth. It means 10% or one-tenth. You math whizzes, what's 10% of 100? 10, there you go. What's 10% of 1,000? What's 10% of a million? Some of you are getting out your calculators. Come on. Okay. It's 10%. You know, the, the beautiful thing about 10% is that it's the same portion for all of us, right? Whether it's little or much, it's still the same portion. So when our children were little and they got a $10 for their birthday, their mother and I would teach them to tithe that. So, so honey, uh, $1 of that belongs to God, Right? And they would bring their dollar to Sunday school and put it in the offering plate. And it was, they, they learned the principle that 10%. And, if, and that's why, you know, those that say, well, you know, I'll wait. I just don't, I don't have the money to tithe. Actually, you do. It's just you have to reallocate the money to tithe. That's the, does that make you follow that? We all have 10%. It's not... It's not a question of whether I have 10%. It's a question of where that 10% is going, you know. Leviticus 27.30 said this. A tithe of everything from the land, whether grain from the soil or fruit from the trees, belongs to the Lord. It's holy. It's holy. When, when we say holy, it means it's set apart. It, it belongs to him. And God actually says, look, that is mine. He, he lays claim to it, the first 10%. And he says, that's holy, that's set apart. And you go, well, why does God want that? I mean, he doesn't need my 10%. No, he doesn't. It's not really about his need. It's not about funding the kingdom. That's not what it's about. It's about faith. And faith is practical, not theoretical. If I say to you, hey, I'm a golfer, but I never golf, can I say that I'm a golfer? You go, uh, no. I mean, I have pictures of golf clubs, and I watch golf. Does that make me a golfer? No. I only can say that I'm a golfer if I actually golf, correct? And faith is the same thing. I can't say that I have faith and then not practice faith. Where do I practice faith? And the truth is, is God calls me to practice faith in every area of my life. How do I practice faith in my marriage? How do I practice it in my family? How do I practice it at work? How do I, right, how do I practice my faith? And God goes, look, here's how you, the first step to practicing faith in your finances, the tithe. Do you trust me? Give me the first 10%. God makes an astounding promise. In Malachi 3.10, he says, bring the whole tithe into the storehouse that there may be food in my house. Test me in this, says the Lord Almighty, and see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that you'll not have room enough for it. Do you know that 
Every other place in the Bible, it's a sin to test God. It's a sin. You're told not to do it. Except in this one area. The God of the universe, in a sense, goes, dare me. Dare me. Test me in this. And see if I don't pour out blessing. This is not God. This is God's word. It's not mine. I think God's the one who made this promise. He stuck his neck out on it. It's the only time that he tells us to test him. You know, I've talked to some who say, well, this is an Old Testament law, and it doesn't really apply to us modern Christians, except there's two, I have two points to kick back on that. Matthew 23, 23, Jesus says this, Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. You give a tenth of your spices, your mint, your dill, and your cumin, but you neglect the more important matters of the law, justice, mercy, and faithfulness. And, and many people stop right there. You're right. You're right. You shouldn't tithe. I'm supposed to emphasize love and justice and mercy and beautiful and butterflies and cupcakes, and that's what we're doing. It's great. And they were wrong because they were skipping all the important stuff and they were doing their tithe. Yeah, no, finish the verse. Jesus says, you should have practiced the latter without neglecting the former. So Jesus doesn't tell them to stop tithing in order to practice justice, love, and mercy. He just simply adds justice, love, and mercy onto their act of tithing. Not only this, but tithing predates the Old Testament. Do you know that? Abraham did it. You go, yeah, Abraham's in the Old Testament. Right, but you need to remember, Abraham lived before the Old Testament. You tracking with that timeline-wise? Moses, right, he wrote the, the first five books of the Bible. And Moses, you know, he led the people out of Egypt, right? And, and so he writes the Torah and everything. And so Moses writes about Abraham, but Moses lived 400 years after Abraham. So Abraham really lived before the Old Testament, if you think about that. And we're told in Hebrews 7 that this Melchizedek was king of Salem and priest of God Most High. He, He met Abraham returning from the defeat of the kings, and he blessed him. And Abraham gave him a tenth. Um, We don't know who Melchizedek was, to be truthful. He's a very mysterious figure in the Bible. But we know that he was a king, we know that he was a priest, and we know that Abraham tithed to him. Which tells me that this tithing thing seems to be a principle in which God has created his world. And I don't understand it to be truthful fully, but I do know this. In 28 years of ministry, I've never met someone who tithed who regretted it. Never. And, and if you're, this morning, you're doubting me and you're thinking, you know, hey, uh, that's just what preachers, preachers come up with that in order to fund their church. Can I just tell you something? If you want to start tithing, then give your money to Manchester Church of the Nazarene or give it to River of Life or give it to Church of the Living God. Give it to Hartford City Mission. I'd be delighted to fund their ministry. they got a great work going there. It is not about funding this house. It's about your relationship with the Lord. 
and about does God own what's in your pocket and your demonstration of trust. And then the third principle is this. So the first two, like I said, are in order. I believe that firmly. The other four, I think they're in this order, but you can argue with me if you'd like. The third principle is this, saving. Psalms 112, verse 3, it speaks to this man about the man who fears the Lord and the blessings that come as a result of his fear of the Lord. And it says, wealth and riches are in his house, and his righteousness endures forever. Proverbs 21, 20, it says, in the house of the wise are stores of choice food and oil, but a foolish man devours all that he has. And then in Proverbs 31, we, we, we read about the Proverbs 31 woman, and she's uh, this wise woman who manages her home well. And one of the things that she does is she saves. She stores up, and she's not afraid of winter because she's prepared. And she's considered a wise woman because she prepares. You know, so savings, after the 10 goes to the Lord, the little rule that I followed, I heard this years ago from a preacher, and I don't know, it just stuck. And it, but it's 10 plus 10 equals harvest. So the first 10% is the Lord's. The second 10% goes to my savings, and then I live off of 80%. And that 10% of savings, friends, it, your, your 401K or your Social Security plan or your pension plan or whatever it is really doesn't count as that. Your savings is, that, that's kind of long-term savings, right? That's for someday when you're retired. But savings means, what do you do when your car breaks down? How do you pay for that? What, what, do, you, what do you have on hand when the water heater busts and you've got to fix that thing, right? That's your savings. That's, you know what? It stinks to write that check, but it's nice to know I write it and I'm st- you know, I'm not on the streets as a result, right? Um, Nobody likes to write it. You don't go, oh boy, a thousand bucks to the mechanic. What a joy, right? But at the same time, I know that that's why that savings plan is there, right? So uh, saving is is a part of not running my life on such a razor-thin budget that I'm not prepared for the surprises that come up in life. That's what the savings is for, and a savings helps with that. You know, if you don't have a savings plan, you're, you're actually setting yourself up for um, tremendous trouble because every one of us has those surprises. There's nobody that escapes those surprises, Right? I have to be prepared for them. So that's the first, that's that. So it all belongs to God. God wants the first 10%. And the Bible actually says you can go ahead and save. And save as much or as little as you'd like. I like 10% myself. The fourth principle is this, generosity. We looked at Deuteronomy 15.10 last week, and this verse really stood out to me. I, I... don't know that I ever really noticed this until I was studying for last Sunday. And uh, I come back to it a lot. Give generously to him. In other words, give generously to the one who's in need. And do so without a grudging heart. Then, this is what catches me, then because of this, the Lord your God will bless you in all your work and in everything you put your hand to. That's what caught my eye. 
So God is waiting for me to be generous in order to bless my work. Then because of this, it says, the Lord your God will bless you and all of the work of your hands. Huh. If that stood by itself, I would say, okay, maybe there's another way to explain it. But it doesn't. There's other scriptures that speak to the same truth. Psalms 112 verse 5. Good will come to him who is generous and lends freely, who conducts his affairs with justice. Proverbs 11.25, a generous man will prosper. He who refreshes others will himself be refreshed. In 1 Timothy chapter 6, we're challenged to be rich in good works and generous and ready to share. So it seems that generosity is a really important part of managing the finances that God's put under my care. It makes sense, doesn't it? Being a steward. Adjacent, remember what being a steward means? It means that you're treating it the way that I would treat it, right? Now, is God generous? We're just saying, good, good Father. So when I'm generous, I'm treating it the way that God would treat it, am I not? Generosity reflects the owner, doesn't it? So, yeah, that kind of makes sense. So it's as if God will get to you what he can get through you. You know, we say, well, I don't have enough to give. You know, I said this last week. If you want more to give, give more. Now, I'm not suggesting that you bankrupt yourself. Understand, let's put it, keep it in perspective, friend. Keep it in perspective. These go together. Right, If you're talking to a financial planner, they have you balance out your portfolio and all that stuff, right? So generosity is a part of the portfolio. You follow that? It's not the only thing. It goes along with the savings. It goes along with the tithing. But generosity is a part of the portfolio. I have a good friend, and, uh, and he's been blessed with, with, uh, with a good income. And uh, one of the things that... I just admire about this guy is that he has what he calls a kingdom portfolio, and I love that. He's, he's literally set aside some of his investments, and he says, God, 100% of what I earn on these investments is yours. I'm going to give it to missions. I'm going to give it to whatever. It's yours. I just think that's cool, and I don't have the portfolio that he has. I mean, mine's a lot smaller But in the same sense, I want to try to practice the same thing, that that I I could say, wouldn't it be cool to set aside a portion of your savings or what you have, and you say, God, I'd really like to, 100% of this, I'm devoting to you. Me neat. An older gentleman that um, has really been a mentor to me over the years, he'll come every couple of months and buy me breakfast, and I really appreciate that. But um, he used to be the treasurer of the Christian Missionary Alliance many years ago. And he was a banker many years ago. And, and uh, one of the things that he has told me that I just admire was, he said, when my wife and I got married, and this, you know, I don't know, they've been married 45, or 45 years probably or more. But he said, when my wife and I got married, we set a goal of giving away a million dollars before we died. And I... Uh, oh, that really stood out to me. 
Because when I got married, I told my wife someday I'd be a millionaire. And how's that working out, honey? <laughs> right. <clears throat> so, you know, I, I was kind of hoping to make a million, and I was really challenged by their heart of giving it away in the course of their lifetime together. And uh, he told me a few years ago, he's kept track of it over their whole years of their marriage. And um, he said his wife and he celebrated because they crossed that mark a few years ago, and now they're working on giving away their second million. That just blesses my heart. You know? And these guys aren't, I mean, the guy, he drives an old Taurus. I mean, it's not like they're, you understand? I mean, we, we have this impression like, oh, you're a billionaire. You're supposed to be generous. No, 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 no. Generosity is something everyone can practice at all levels of income. So that's the fourth principle. Fifth principle is avoiding debt. Um, Proverbs 6, 3, it says to those in debt, it says, Free yourself like a gazelle from the hand of a hunter, like a bird from the snare of a fowler. Proverbs 22, verse 27, uh, speaks about being in debt. And it says, If you lack the means to pay, your very bed will be snatched from under you. Romans 13, 8 gets really blunt. It says, Let no debt remain outstanding except the continuing debt to love one another. So the only... The only debt I owe is to love you. Let that be the only debt I owe and not anybody, not any other form of debt. Many people have been led to believe that you just can't do life without debt. But that's a lie. Um, you know, we're, we're driven to think, well, I need this new, I need new cars. I need a four-year college education. The kids need braces. I need, I need, I need, I need. And... You know, in my simple experience, and it's really simple, my observation is it's hard to stay out of debt. It's even harder to get out of debt. Once the hole has begun to be dug, it seems like it's a quicksand, and the more I try, the deeper I get, and it gets worse and worse. And so observing that in the lives of others I'm like, you know what, I will, it's hard to say, to say no, it's hard to stay out of debt for sure, but I'll take that difficulty over being in debt and trying to dig out of debt. Does that make sense? Now, this is why your savings plan is so important. With your savings plan in place, you can avoid debt as well, right? Because oftentimes we go into debt because, well, the, the car broke down, I got I to gotta fix that. How do I pay for that? Well, I don't have a savings to pay for that, so I'll go into debt to pay for that. Follow? So they do go together, these, these principles. Um, listen, I don't want to say this to shame any of you because I'm well aware of the fact that debt is a very common issue, and some of us are carrying large amounts of debt, and I don't want you to hear any shame in this at all. I just want to encourage you that to follow what Scripture says, get out of it as quick as possible. Get out of it. And if you need help to get out of it, we do actually have several people in our church who are just excellent at this. And their ministry has been to actually sit down, and they've helped some of us as well, just actually put together a budget and get together a plan and get out of debt. And so if you need that, please talk to me, and I'm happy to connect you 
with those folks because they really are excellent. And they do it for free. They just do it as their ministry to you because they love you. So they're guys a lot smarter than I am about this stuff. And they can help you. There are only two ways I know to avoid debt. One is save at least 10% of my income so that I always have a backup plan. And then second, I just don't buy things I don't need. That's straightforward, which leads to the sixth principle. I have to curb my wants and my desires. The Bible talks about that. Proverbs 27.20, it says, Death and destruction are never satisfied, and neither are the eyes of man. I always want what I see. Um, Ecclesiastes 1.8 says, The eye never has enough of seeing, nor the ear its fill of hearing. 1 John 2.16 says, For everything in the world, the cravings of sinful man, the lust of his eyes, and the boasting of what he has and does, it comes not from the Father, but from the world. The lust of his eyes. You know, when I was a kid, you know, I can still eat. Those of you that know me know I like to eat. And, um, but when I was a kid, I used to pile it on the plate, you know. And my mom had this saying. She'd say, Doug, your eyes are bigger than your belly. And by that, she meant, I wanted more than I could have, right? Boy, I've seen that principle play out over and over and over again. My eyes are bigger than my budget, <laughs> right? I mean, how many pairs of shoes do I have to own, right? Do I really need a bigger cable package? Do I really need it? When do I stop my thirst for more? Have you noticed that in our society it's consumer-driven? And so naturally, in order for the economy to survive, the only way to do that is to get you to buy, 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 and consume more and more and more and more. And so you've got to have more data for your phone, faster Internet for your home, more Dunkin', a newer car, a better rate. I mean, on and on and on and on it goes. At some point, we got to say, i got to wake up in the morning and go, I'm good. I'm good. Don't need anything else. I'm good. I'm fat and sassy. Got enough. I'm set. Right? At what point do I do that? Can I ask you this? Are you happy? I can tell you, here's a principle that I know. If you're, if you're not happy without it, you won't be happy with it. Have you not experienced it? You bring that home. That computer comes in the UPS truck because I bought it off of the Internet. And the box, you know, it's like the angel voices sing. The light emanates from the cracks in the box, right? And you you close the door, right? It's kind of like, it's my new computer. Right? How long does that new feeling last? What do you figure in your experience? I know my experience, maybe an hour. I get it set up, and then it's like, okay, well, got to mow the lawn now. I mean, that was great. It's kind of like, like, like it, the newness wears off like that, you know? The new car, how long does that new sneaker smell last inside your car when you buy it? It doesn't last real long, and then we get air fresheners to try to extend the feeling, right? It's kind of like, wow, man. The new stuff, the, the, the shine and the, and the glitz, it wears off quick, doesn't it? And then we go, well, I, I, I must need to get an, now I need an iPad. Oh, 
right? So we're constantly trying to fuel that feeling. Oh, yeah, yeah. At some point, I just go, I'm cool. I'm cool. I don't need anything more. My life is pretty good, right? So I do need to understand and kind of walk myself through a simple little exercise when I'm deciding on a purchase. I simply ask the question, is this a need or is it a want? The truth is I possess all that I need. I have a, a house that I go to in the storm. I have plenty of food. My goodness, I have to try to lose weight, right? So I'm eating plenty well. And then on top of that, I'm so blessed. I have the love of a great woman. I have a good family, fantastic friends. I mean, my goodness, on and on and on it goes, the blessings, true? So what I'm considering then really comes down to it being a want, probably. Most of the time, what I'm really grabbed hold of, it's a want, it's not a need, truthfully. And so then the next question I have to ask myself is, well, can I afford it? And if the answer is yes, you know what? There's no sin in you getting an iPad. I hope you don't hear that. I'm not, you know, you don't have to come repent of buying a new computer. That's not what you got to do. I'm not suggesting that at all. If you can afford it, go for it. That's great. Enjoy it. Have at it. Have a great time. Matter of fact, I found that one of the keys to freedom is to enjoy something without having to own it. So I'm really happy to swim in your pool. I don't have to have one. Does that make sense? Cool, man. I can get chilled and then leave, and you got the responsibility. It's perfect, right? So it's, about, it's really about can I afford it? If the answer is yes, then buy it. If the answer is no, then walk away. I don't need it anyway. So you see something in kingdom economics, it all comes down to this. It all belongs to the king. And he's entrusted it to you and me with one request, that we spend it in a way that honors him. And so he asks us this morning to simply reevaluate how we do money. Is there anything in my budget that God would want to change? Money itself is not evil, but what we do with it sure can be. You understand, money is just, it's amoral. It's not evil or good. It's just a thing. It's what we do with it that is the difference. And in my own life, can I just share my own testimony? I've found that the way that I treat money is actually a reflection of how I feel about God. So there are times in my life that I have felt very distant from God. And I honestly didn't trust Him to care for me. And uh, fear ruled my life. And as a result, I clutched onto money like a pit bull hangs onto a bone, you know. And that did damage in my marriage because I didn't trust my own wife. And uh, there was a time in our marriage, I second-guessed almost every bag of groceries the poor woman brought home. Do we really need that? Do we have to have that? Now, why'd you get that? We have three of these in the closet, you know? What was I doing? I mean, I'm afraid, and I'm trying to control. And I grumbled every time we'd have to pay for something for the kids, you know, not another pair of sneakers, not another. Not another. It seemed like I got to a while, I was like, 
the school, every time I wrote a check, it was 50 bucks. You know, everything. It was like $50 minimum. Oh, you're going skating? 50 bucks. Oh, it's a field trip? 50 bucks. It's like 50 bucks is where it all started. And then it went up from there. Ay, ay, ay. And then I learned something several years ago. I learned that I was being controlled by an orphan spirit. An orphan spirit is a demonic spirit that latches itself onto our hearts, and it lives apart from the Father's love. You know, I could talk about God loving me, and I can sing, what a good, good Father He is, except in my experience, I didn't feel that God loved me. I didn't experience God's love, and I didn't really believe that God loved me. Does that make sense? I could hear people talk about God being their Father, and I'm like, yeah, but he's, he's not my father. I mean, he's God, but he's not my father, you know? And I, I think that's why money gets talked about so much in the Bible, because it's this obvious thing that reveals my relationship with God. It reveals whether or not I'm living for now or for eternity. It, it reveals my priorities. It does, they say that money is the number one reason why couples get divorced, and that's really not true. I mean, money's the symptom. It's not the cause. See, money reveals your values. It reveals what's important to you. So when my wife and I are fighting over money, what we're really fighting over is what's important to us. She has her list of what's important, and I have my list of what's important, and we both insist that we've got to buy that. We've got to spend it on that, right? And that, and that creates the conflict. You follow? But money's really not the conflict. The root of it is the values. We have opposing values about how it should be spent. And so that's why the Bible, I think, has so much to say about money because it reveals my values. It reveals my priorities. It reveals my relationship with God. It reveals so much about my life. It's just a mirror so let's just review these last three weeks quickly, okay? Why do I work? Well, I work to honor Jesus, and I work in order to have money to share. That's what we learned three weeks ago. That's welfare. Welfare, I care for my family, and I care for others who are genuinely in need who can't work. Well, how do I have money to share? Well, I manage it the way that God wants me to manage it so that I can work hard, so that I can have the means to be generous, to share with those who need it in order to provide for my family and share with those who need. You see how those two, those three go together? That's why as I studied, I said, like, wow, work, welfare, wealth. Like you can't really separate them from the one from the other. They, they, uh, they're connected very much. So my question to you this morning as we um, close here is simply this. Uh, um, you know, do you... What does your money reveal about your relationship with God? And that's a question that I pose to you to answer. And that's between you and the Lord. I know this. He loves you with an undying and overwhelming love. And he does desire to walk with you in your finances. 
that he's not just a Sunday morning church God, but he's like a God of every detail of your life, including your wallet. And he, he wants to bless every area of your life, <clears throat> including your wallet. But in order for, but he can't bless what isn't his, you know? He so I give my wallet to him. And I say, Lord, I want to manage it the way that you want me to. So, so that then I can, it can reflect the king who owns it in every way. So, Lord, I do, I thank you. Um, you know, Lord, uh, I just want to, as, as I've been thinking about this this week, God, I, you've been showing me about generosity. And, Lord, I, I want to make that commitment to you. I, I, I want to be more generous. And um, so, Father, I, uh, I thank you for the example of some in this church body that uh, are generous, and they, their example routinely challenges me <laughs> to step it up. And so, Lord, that's the commitment that I make before you this morning. And, Father, I do pray that, uh, as, um, that you would be honored uh, in the money that's in our pockets. I thank you, God, that you care about every aspect of my life. And uh, you're interested in it all. And so I, I thank you for that, Lord. And I pray, Lord, that you'd bless my friends today. And that... Um, And we ask this, Lord, in your holy name. Amen. I just want to invite you as we sing to come forward if you'd like. And, uh, you know, um, I don't really know fully what God's been dealing in your heart with. Um, I know that money tends to bring up lots of issues. It tends to do that. And so if this morning it's brought up something, I invite you to come so that we can pray. If you don't want to be prayed for, you don't have to be prayed for, but I know sometimes you just want to come and just pray, you know? So that's okay. If uh, someone comes up to you and offers to pray with you, just say, I'm good, no thank you. But um, as we close, just the altar's open and let's do business here with the Lord, okay? So stand with me and, and let's sing.